Namaste and in la catch. The divine in me recognizes the divine in you and I am another you is what those two phrases means. And imagine what you can do with that in your own life. At the core, we are all one. So this week's show is featuring Dr. Jacob Leiberman, who is an author, an optometrist, and an inventor. He's a doctor in optometry. He's got a PhD in vision science. He's past president of the College of Syntonic Optometry and the International Society for the Study of Subtle Energies in Energy Medicine. He's a fellow emeritus from American Academy of Optometry, College of Syntonic Optometry, and the College of Optom Optometrics in Vision Development and International Academy of Color Sciences. He's the author of three books, Take Off Your Glasses and See, Luminous Life, How the Science of Life Unlocks the Art of Living, and Light Medicine of the Future, How We Can Use It to Heal Ourselves Now. He was also the 2019 International Light Association's uh, Francis McManam Award achievement, and or received that in uh, Achievement for Light Medicine. Jacob, glad to have you here. Then it's a pleasure to be together with you this morning. I am, have been looking forward to this conversation ever since we connected on Facebook. Um, mm. You've got some wonderful work and I really admire what you've been doing. So let's let's start back a little bit and, and look at how this began. Uh, most of my guests have some kind of inkling as a child or, or during the you know younger years from which they were able to build upon. What kind of experiences did you have and how did that help you ascend into a new order in your own life? You know, I, I've been a sensitive my whole life, uh, which I guess means that something within me is aware of what's coming to me rather than what's coming from me. And so ever since I was a child, something would enter my awareness. Uh, at the time, I thought it was just thinking because we were conditioned to sure. believe that that's what was going on. But essentially, something would just become clear almost instantaneously, free of charge from where I do not know. And it happened in so many different ways from noticing something on my mother's leg that ended up being a melanoma uh, that happened very young to recognizing that the voice that I was often aware of in the mind was actually being observed by something else. When, when I was a small child of 10 or 11 years old, I was selling papers on a corner in Miami, Florida. And uh, I used to ride my bicycle from elementary school to the corner, sell these papers for a nickel and make a penny on each paper. Mm -hmm. I got out of school a little late, didn't have a chance to go home and have a snack first. I rode my bicycle to the corner. The papers hadn't arrived. I had no money, but I was hungry. All of a sudden, what caught my eye was Saunders Hardware Store across the street. 
I walked in, I went right to the candy counter. I stole a candy bar, stuck it in my back pocket and started walking out feeling rather guilty, which time I heard a voice in my head that said, nobody saw you. And all of a sudden, something just stopped and there was a realization that I saw me. Hmm. I went outside, I sat under a tree. I never actually ate the candy bar, but all of a sudden I realized that what saw me was not the voice that said, nobody saw you. And it was the first time I had some realization that this thing we call mind that supposedly we think with moves us through the world, that actually there was something else that was aware of that. And so I've had visions and experiences like that since I was a small child. To then bring it up, uh, when I finished my medical training um, and started my professional training, I was wearing glasses. Uh, like many kids, I had a problem with reading in school. Even though I tried really hard, I used to fall asleep when I would start to read and schoolwork was tough for me. Mm -hmm. And when I entered college within 10 days of entering college, I literally, my eyesight got blurry in the middle of a test because I was so scared. I was given glasses and that's what started the progression of my nearsightedness, which every year I needed stronger glasses. And so when I was in my medical training at the end of my second year, I thought they were going to ask me to leave because I was having such a tough time in school between getting through my schoolwork and working in order to pay for my school. And so at the end of the second year, they send you to the clinic to be examined by one of the third or fourth year students to give them some practice. Mm -hmm. And the young student that examined me said, well, you need a stronger pair of glasses. Well, I'd heard that year after year. And then he said, but you have some problems using your eyes together and you might want to try these little exercises. Well, I never did the exercises. And two months later, uh, I was sitting on my bed doing my homework. I fell asleep. When I awoke, the first thing that caught my eye was this little device he had given me two months prior that was sitting in the corner of my room. For whatever reason, I picked it up. I used it for four or five minutes. And then I read for an hour nonstop with like, perfect attention and perfect comprehension. It was such a profound epiphany for me right. that I started crying because up to that point, I thought I was stupid. I thought something was wrong with my brain because everyone else seemed to be able to read easily. Sure. And you didn't think that everything or that their uh, <clears throat> techniques or, or tools or things like that would have any effect either because of the... No one had ever suggested anything right, like right. this, you know? So I did this for about 10 minutes a day for maybe six or eight weeks. And then I made Dean's List 
every single quarter for the next two years. It was a life changer. It was like a light went on. And it was profound for me that vision was so much more than just eyesight. Oh, absolutely. And that really influenced me. Right. You know, we we often say, I see. But I see means I know. I understand. Things are clear. Mm -hmm. Not just the eye chart, but everything is clear. Right. There's a cognition, that, if you will. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That experience influenced the type of practice that I went into, which was helping kids that had the kind of problems I had realizing that many vision problems could be prevented with the appropriate type of care, vision training, certain kinds of preventive glasses, not the kind of glasses to see clearer, but the kind of glasses that cause our system to go, ah. I mean, yeah, or exercise a little bit. E exercising and glasses that reduce stress sure. rather than just focus you on a, the ability to see at 20 feet. Right. Let me Bottom back line is, a little yeah. bit with that, uh, as you were seeing the device and, and as you were talking about your childhood, I orphaned and adopted and found the voice around five years old, uh, inquiring of, you know, what's going on and do I have a father and mother in heaven that I can talk to? Right. And right. the voice appeared. It's kind of not identical to what you went through, but I became aware that there was something else and, and going on. And like you, there were these um, second level or second tier thoughts, right? The, the one like nobody saw you, right? Right. And then there was the other one. There's like, wait a minute. Yes, they did because it was you. And then there's another that's observing and reporting on those too. Now, in that sight of the tool in the corner of your bedroom did what was the conversation that went on in your head as a result of that none okay uh, it, it literally it literally caught my eye and something had to go there and get it and then i just began there was no there was no intermediary Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad you asked the question because it came that from is a thought. So, it came from a, well, an energy response. Uh, was that it? It was an automatic response to something that was uh, animating movement within me, mm -hmm. and and we'll we'll talk more about that a little later because that's so much the gist of of the work that I'm working on today, but I never actually flashed on it in the way you just discussed by your question of, oh, I realized that happened even way back then. And that was 1970. with the apocalyptic chats, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> the bottom line was that I went into practice and I started experimenting with my own vision to see was there something I could do to reduce my dependency on glasses? Was there something I could do to reduce the amount of time I used my glasses? Because back then, I couldn't drive without my glasses. My license said I needed to wear glasses. Mm -hmm. In 1976, 
I was sitting at home one Sunday meditating, which I had learned in 1971 and used to do on a daily basis. And I took my glasses off and I sat down and I began to meditate. And somewhere in the experience, <clears throat> I was aware of the entire room. What I mean is, whatever it was that was seeing was aware of Jacob sitting in the room <clears throat> and everything else in the room at the same time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and everything was clear, not just optically clear, but at a level that I had never experienced clarity before. And what I mean was, it was so clear that the mind was still. It was so clear that whatever was noticing what was going on was aware that even the space between that which is observing and that which is being observed is filled with life and energy. What we call empty space wasn't actually empty at all. I don't know how long this experience went on for, but when my meditation finished, and I opened my eyes, and all this was occurring with my eyes closed, mm -hmm. my eyesight was totally clear. And when I say totally clear, it was so shockingly clear that I don't remember seeing that clear. And at first, it was like, what's going on here? And then after a couple of minutes, I actually got a little scared. What's... Something must be wrong because this is not supposed to happen. There's no mechanism that I'm aware of how this could happen. None of my education told me that this was even possible. Right, right. So I didn't know what was going on. And so it was so shocking for me. I got in my car. My glasses were on the seat next to me because my license said I need to wear them but I didn't need them. So I drove to my office, which was about half an hour away. And I noticed the street signs, the billboards, the license plates, everything was easily visible. I went to my office. I sat in my exam chair, 20 feet away from the eye chart. I put up a series of eye charts that I'd never seen before. And I could read 300% better. I could read one line smaller than 2020. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, all I could see was the big E on the chart. I had no idea what was going on. So I did something I had never did before. I put the instrument in front of my face and I started to examine myself. Of course, I couldn't tell what I was doing. Because A little different kind of self-examination, right? Exactly. When I finished and got to whatever the prescription would be, I was sure that I'd come out of the device and the device would basically show no prescription because I was seeing 300% better without straining, without squinting, without any effort. 
No, I'd like to ask but you something I, about that. Do you recognize no. that one was a belief system and the other was an experience system that you were wrestling with? At that point, I wasn't aware of that. Mm -hmm. Now it's different, but let me take you back to that point for a moment. Sure. After I examined myself, I came out from the device and the prescription in the machine was almost identical to the one in my glasses. Let me explain that so your listeners understand. Something, whatever the mechanism was that is seeing within us, which I used to think was the eye, was able to read 300% better, clearer. But the optical measurements of the eye didn't change at all which meant that whatever was seeing was far more than just the eyeball or perhaps even the brain. Now, if that would have occurred for five minutes, I would have said, my God, that's a miracle. But I haven't worn glasses in 46 years now. And I'm 75 years old. And I don't wear them for reading. And I don't wear them for distance. And I've passed all my driver's tests. The point I'm making is that experience really opened up a few things for me. One was I realized that the source of our seeing is very different than anything that I had learned. And two, I realized that profound change could occur without any effort, that something could occur without any doing. And of course, our entire life is built on doing. Do be have, and we forget to put the be in front. Exactly. So that experience opened me up to a whole lot of things. I began seeing in ways that I had never seen before. Uh, I noticed that I was able to see, you know, at that time they called it the aura. Now they speak of it as the biofield. Mm -hmm. Essentially, I was able to notice that there was energy around things, not just living things, but Things that we don't think are living, like mountains and rocks. Well, now we know today with quantum physics that, that yeah. you know, this realization and, and scientific proof that there is no physical form. It's all yeah. squiggly, you know, line, or tigglies, if you will. I think that's a, a southeastern term, but uh, yeah, East Asia term. However, now we know, and I had a conversation with Dr. Irvin Laszlo some time ago, and, and I'd mentioned that, you know, quantum physics has proved that now we're 99% space and 1% material. And he said, I would argue that we're 100% energy. And, right. I, you know, I stopped for a moment because it resonated. There was this, um, Matthias DeMott calls it uh, empathic resonance. Right. right? It's just right. that truth. And it's undeniable however you have to be in that quiet space for it to appear because you otherwise you're in this you know conversation in your head or what uh, don Juan calls it the internal dialogue 
right? right. And not right. able to move that assemblage point to where it actually has the clear sight that you're talking about. Uh, it's a phenomenal experience that once you have it, it changes your life. Well, it, you know, it, it's an epiphany. It's hmm. a revelation. It's, it's that which triggers um, neuroplasticity. We think that the brain changes because we do something over and over again. Yes, you can get a certain amount of change by going to the gym and lifting weights, but when you stop lifting them, the muscles atrophy. Right. Um, what I'm speaking about is something that occurs without any effort and keeps expanding outward. It's um, It doesn't go up and down. It just keeps growing. It keeps expanding upon itself. And it's very, very profound. And it's been, th this whole experience was very instrumental in most of my work that uh, I spoke about in my books, uh, which is that I began to play in the area of light and color. I had actually been utilizing it since 1971, but when I began to see that the body literally radiated energy that was visible to me in terms of color, and most importantly, what I realized is how this changed in response to our state. And so I would often have conversation with my patients at the time when I was practicing. I haven't practiced in years now, but I would have conversation with people or I would ask them to do certain things. I noticed that every time they were efforting, Mm -hmm. trying hard, all the things we've been conditioned to do, the biofield literally would collapse. It would disappear. Every time they started thinking, it would literally disappear. But when the breath was flowing easily and they were in a state of just, ah, this thing shined like the sun. And so I began realizing that this whole concept of trying harder, thinking ahead, all the things that we were conditioned to do were actually the wrench that was clogging up the engine. <laughs> that of was our a spanner life. that was thrown in the gears, right? Exactly. Oh. And so I began playing with color to see something about someone's receptivity to light. You see, the body runs on light, just like a plant. Mm -hmm. uh, one third of the energy that our cells produce for the energy that they need is produced from the food we ingest, but two thirds is directly through the ingestion of light. Just light impacting the eyes, light impacting the now, body. Is, is it an ingestion? Or like you say, when, when you're in that empty place, right? Then and, and there's some references to you know having your cup filled in some places, right? You have to have the empty cup for that to happen. Now, in that place, 
do you also notice that or had you noticed that intention really set things up and that from that expansion the reflection from the world actually gave you opportunities to take those steps toward further experience and understanding that then you were able to put into practice and, and work with your patients as well. Um, we might be saying the same thing. Okay. But I use very different words. There is an animating force in this universe. Mm -hmm. Now, some people refer to it as God, whatever that is. It's a, which is more a concept because we have no idea what it is. But there is something that is moving the universe, that is breathing it because it expands and contracts, just like everything within it. Not only do does that expansion contraction occur with what we call breathing, more appropriately, something is breathing us, but our entire vascular system, all of our cells, all of our glands, all of our organs, the heart, the entire body is continually expanding and contracting. So is the earth, all living things on the earth and everything beyond. Mm -hmm. So you could say that there is a frequency of wellness within the universe that creates this movement of expansion and contraction. Well, this sounds very Vedantic. Right. It, from the Rig Vedas and the Vedas, there's this understanding of unity consciousness from which we are all threads attached to. I also right. heard it explained as an experience I had as a teen uh, going into the light and beyond and coming back that we're actually cosmic consciousness condensed into form, just unaware. And what, and this is how I'm my verbiage, right, of explaining what I think you're just saying as well, it, because there's this flow of energy that... Right. Uh, let me just bring it back to the, the word you used was intention. Yes. So there is, um, you could say the intelligence of life seems to be moving life in a way that is so miraculous that we don't understand it with the little mind that we have. However, and we can yet, experience it, right? Yes. Yeah, so the point I'm making is, do we actually need to intend what we think, which is very different than knowing opinion is not truth. Belief is actually opinion. So what I'm sharing is if we are able to just allow this guidance to come through, it seemingly brings us right into the heartbeat of life. That's the and intention so, that I'm talking about. All right. But what I'm sharing is putting that, yourself in that place. What I'm sharing is that the mind cannot actually see that place from my experience. It the is mind, that place. <laughs> well, the mind, 
Now, this is what not local mine, not, not the, because we, there's a lot of right. people. So you're talking about non-local and, and. So you're talking universe. about non-local mine. You're, you're speaking about non-local mine then. Yes. As part of this picture. Yes. Okay. So non-locality is another word for infinity and yes. So now we're speaking about the same thing. I think the the point that I'm attempting to share is this initial discovery that what was seeing within my humanity was not my eye, was not seemingly not my brain, that I couldn't quite identify from where the seeing was happening from, allowed me to recognize that something else was animating my movements, not only the movements of my heart and everything else within me, but if allowed, there is a mechanism within all living things. It's common to all living things that when we are in resonance with something else, like you and I, it brings us closer together. It takes what appears like two and merges them into one. And when that resonance is not there, and let's say it's a state of dissonance, it naturally recoils mm -hmm. them away. What I'm sharing is that, that that sense within all living things that's common to everything that moves us towards what we are vibrating with it and resonating with and moves us away from all other things that's called common sense <laughs> that that and that now how do we make that sense common well the point i'm making is that is what is at I'm play at the that. most at the most fundamental level that is at play and so you said to me a little while in our conversation, when you saw that instrument for your vision, what was the thoughts and so on? I said, no one had ever asked me that question, but I realized there was total silence. Something, it caught my eye, and then I was literally taken there. Um, and what I find is, this is what's happening in my life right now. Whatever catches my eye, I sense is looking for me. Right. And it it literally moves me in the direction that I need to move in in order to fulfill my reason for being. And what's really fascinating is no thinking is required. It just occurs automatically. No and instructions necessary, right? Um, although there exactly. is a slight instruction because you have to recognize that this is actually occurring and acquiesce to that flow within you that is that, um, as you're saying, what you're seeking is also seeking you, right? This is that, exactly. from my understanding, there's a bio-spiritual resonance that takes place at, at a frequency yeah. level. And right. Right. I was able to explain this somewhat with Dr. Mishlove years ago when I had an interview with him. And in my attempts to understand and be able to articulate, because I have a very similar experience to you in this mm -hmm. 
place of just being, right? That things flow and there's this openness and willingness, um, even a fearless vulnerability that that others kind of would frame it as, right? Right. It doesn't feel that way. It just feels natural. Yeah. And what happened over the years then is that what started coming to me were ways that I could interact with people or support people in actually coming to that place. Because to actually notice what's looking for us, we have to recognize that what comes to us is very different than what comes from us. Mm, Now, this is just... This is just my direct experience. I don't know what it is for everyone. But when this clarity or guidance comes, it's silent. And the way the way I become aware of it is all of a sudden there's a clarity that comes out of nothingness. I don't know from where it comes. So it's not a voice I hear or anything like that if it's a voice it's the mind what happens is this is silence that is totally clear and just filled with awareness and what i started noticing in the late 70s when I was working with color is I was led to believe, oh, this color does this, this color does this, you use this to excite, you use this to sedate. And while the model seemed to work a good bit of the time, it often didn't work. And so I started asking people which were their favorite colors. And I was astounded that everyone had a different kind of favorite color or colors Mm -hmm. they didn't like. At that time, biofeedback was a big thing. So I bought a extravagant physiological monitoring system. I would hook up my patients and I would have them look at different colors and I would notice what was happening to their physiology, to their autonomic nervous system, to their breathing rate, to their muscle tensions. And what I noticed is that when they looked or visualized or thought about colors that they were very comfortable with their body just went into a state of relaxation but when they encountered colors that they felt uncomfortable with their body had a a typical stress reaction and i thought and this was unique to everyone it didn't follow any model your particular well, it's kind of hard to be to find a model that's prescriptive for everyone. We're so individualistic and, and so again exactly. frequency driven, right? And those proclivities that we have towards certain things, those are what we resonate with, and that's going to be different for everyone. Exactly. Some of them so, may be similar, right? There may be yeah. clusters. Right? Uh what I started noticing is that I could use. You see, color is a perceptual phenomenon. Color is actually just vibration, Mm -hmm. part of the electromagnetic spectrum, 
and it is the vibrational foundation of a certain set of experiences. Light and life are the same phenomenon in two forms. One is formless mm -hmm. and one is matter or form. That's why David Bohm said all matter is frozen light. So when a person is interacting with what they perceive as a color, if that color resonates with them, they will just allow it in, just like allowing someone into their home that they feel like is their close friend. But if the color they're interacting with just doesn't resonate for them, literally they will recoil from that. Mm -hmm. And so, so what I saw is that the colors we're comfortable with are vibrationally the foundation of the experiences we resonate with. And the colors we're uncomfortable with are the vibrational foundation of experiences that we are yet not able to embrace. Some, <laughs> some may have occurred during this lifetime. Most of them have been passed on from generation to generation and we don't know exactly what the origin well, is. There seems to be a couple of different things in that framework. The again, biospiritual, the the lineage, the cultural yeah. memories, the the biology of memory that's passed from gener generation right. to generation, and then there's also the frequency of the solar resonance, for lack of a better, that extends over time, and yeah. two of those then combine for this physical experience so to speak yeah now, yeah in that in that vibrational bandwidth that you know the colors has have those frequency ranges and we can tap into those and be comfortable or uncomfortable depending on our own level of awareness it seems and how far we've been able to acquiesce to that understanding that these things come from nothingness and right this nothingness, when you mentioned the word, it was like, oh, cool, you'll love this. So there's a guy from Canada in the 1950s. His name is William uh, Wilbert Smith. And he, mm -hmm. had, I'm going to, this is off the chart kind of stuff. And yet it was very real. He ran Canada's UFO investigation program in the 1950s. It was funded mm -hmm. by the Ministry of Transportation. And so in this, he actually had conversations with what he called people from elsewhere different forms, different intelligences, non-human, right? And one of the pertinent or tasty tidbits that they offered him was that humans don't understand nothingness. Right. And that's the basis for their understanding. Right. So I find right. it really congruent that you mention, you know, this comes from nothingness. And, and right. that's a tough place for most people to let go to or to release right. to yet let alone incorporate that awareness on on a regular basis it's a practice but, but you know that creation is the the transformation of no thing into a thing yeah. and so and of course, you mentioned quantum mechanics before. Obviously, if you keep magnifying, 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 
you keep seeing that what appeared to be matter is actually matterless, and it's more formless, more formless, more formless, and then you realize that it's just the field of potentiality, a quantum soup, if you will, right. that is just appearing and disappearing at whatever rate. What I found fascinating is I found, uh, after working with thousands of people, I began to realize that you could use color almost in homeopathic remedies, very small periods of time via the eyes, the windows of the soul, mm -hmm. to actually help the person desensitize from the uh, unresolved traumas, issues, the PTSD, push and pulls things. of energy that we feel. Exactly. And so what I realize is, you know, 90% of disease is caused or contributed by significantly through something called stress. Mm -hmm. Stress is when we encounter an aspect of life we're allergic to, and we have an allergic reaction with psychophysiological uh, manifestations. Most of us live from the heads up, right? We have no it's idea that exactly. the body is an instrument, let alone how to tune it or play in concert. And yet with all this mishigas that happens in the head, we shove right. it into the body and then wonder why we have disease. And so what I began to discover is through a, a very gentle uh, utilization of different wavelengths of light, which we perceive as color, people could become gradually comfortable with those vibrations that they used to feel uncomfortable with. So in other words, the things that triggered the stress reaction within us and the dis-ease would start to dissipate. I started doing this work in the late 70s. Um, I developed many light therapy, color therapy pieces of equipment that I used to teach therapists and other physicians to use. And now I simplified it into a, a, something that people could utilize at home where they follow a simple protocol. And when they put on a pair of filtered glasses, it's not about, oh, put them on for 10 minutes. It's put them on and just as the body breathes, if, if there's any constriction in the breathing, remove them. In other words, rather than pushing through like we've been trained to do, right? what I'm suggesting is let's see if we can become subtly aware of the just noticeable difference well, you so, we can get, the so we can get comfortable. Yes, it's incredibly subtle so that we begin to notice when something is not is is not moving us in a direction of ease and then we take them off we we sit with that it calms down and what occurs over time is the person is gradually able to spend more time with the things that used to immediately put them into a stress reaction. And what occurs over time is not only do they find that more of life is available, 
you could say that they start to experience a full spectrum life, but their physiology changes because could we say that it is life is more fulfilling. <laughs> fulfilling exactly what what's see what's fascinating then is that when i first became aware of the chakra system i couldn't understand why there were colors associated with these energy centers i couldn't find any scientific evidence for it mm -hmm. but as i started working with hundreds first hundreds and then thousands of people i started noticing empirically that if, for instance, someone said that they were very uncomfortable with red or orange, they would have some sort of gastrointestinal issues, lower back issues, reproductive issues, that the colors they were uncomfortable with, it wasn't just a psychological phenomenon, an emotional uh, dis-ease, uh, but literally, that part of the body was remaining in the dark. Here the body runs on light. That mm -hmm. part is remaining in the dark because our receptivity to it is so minimal that the system is blocking the light from getting in. And so when more light gets in, there's a profound change because the... The quality of our health is directly related to the quality of light that we are absorbing. Sunlight, of course, is the natural source, but 90% of us spend our life, our, our, our daytime indoors under artificial light, under light emitted from all of our technology. This light is not totally not only totally out of balance with nature's light but what it's feeding us creates real problems because our body has many trillions of cells that communicate by interacting signals of light what's called biophotons every second every cell emits more than a hundred thousand biophotons the orderliness of the biophotons is related to the state of wellness. If they are disordered, then you have dis-ease. Well, artificial light is totally disordered light. And so we take in this light. Our body cannot communicate appropriately in terms of what it should be doing and when and this is critical because in biology and in life, timing is everything. Ooh, That's why yeah. there's such a focus on circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythms and you're talking are talking to just a progressive about. drummer too. So timing yeah. is everything. <laughs> timing literally is everything. And so yeah. that the reason circadian rhythms is such a big uh, thing today is because. Circadian rhythms are not just about when we awaken and when we sleep. They're every point in between the 24-hour cycle. <clears throat> every cell is receiving signals of light. Light is totally invisible. It is not the brightness we experience. Right. Light is invisible. Every cell receives that invisible energy, which is formless. 
before there's any form observed in the world. And that is what keeps all of ourselves knowing what to do, when to do it, and to what degree, and keeps us in each moment congruent. Now, from what and you're coherent. saying, let me extrapolate on this just a little bit. And this is going to stretch the audience mind, I'm sure. In this progression of, of understanding, of being, of exercising this cosmic muscle, if you will, there's this opportunity to remain, to not age, even to go back into more of a pristine form. Would you agree that this is our potential and um, possibly where we are moving to with this new awareness and this subtle change, especially in our area of space, we're in a, um, you know, we're moving into the age of Aquarius now. We're in a different age area of space. We're moving from a very patriarchal to a matriarchal energy. We're moving from the very constricted to the expansive. This new living awareness that we are talking about is something that's being presented in a lot of different forms. As you were talking about, I uh, reflected on another Swigard uh, multi-level awareness technique in which one of those exercises is to go through each of the chakras and get in touch with their resonant spin right. and being able to acknowledge that within the body and, and line them up more effectively for a greater fulfillment, if you will. Um, so these kinds of things, and I really appreciate the depth because you've taken not only that understanding, you've pulled out the research and the empirical representation of that because you're looking for it, right? You've figured out how to find this data that reflects the reality, which in science, you know, we can't measure, or we can't tell what's there if we can't measure it. And this is some of the things that as we grow, we're the instrument that measures. It's not an exterior, although the, the knowledge the knowledge finds us. Right. Uh, Einstein was once being interviewed and the journalist said, uh, Mr. Einstein, how did you discover the theory of relativity? And Einstein started laughing. He said, oh, that happened while I was playing piano. The point that he was making is Prior to every discovery that we make in science, if you speak to a scientist, I don't care what level of science, prior to them beginning to look in a certain direction for something, something comes to them. Maybe it's in the middle of eating at a restaurant. All of a sudden, whoa, they start writing on the napkin you know, the mind then says, oh, look what I thought of. But no, no, no. <laughs> it comes to them free of charge. All discoveries, all discovery is preceded by something that moves us in a certain direction. Now, so with that, with that statement, is there a potential of having it? understanding frequency a perfected form fit and function in the world that we are designed to fulfill it is our natural state 
it is the way we are hardwired. Consider this. An infant is born. An infant has no awareness of skin coloration. Mm. It has no awareness of religiosity. It has no awareness of preferences. It has no awareness of gender. None of this exists. The only thing that exists is isness. The infant is not even aware that it is separate from anything else. It lives in a holographic state totally supportive. presence. Yes, totally supported. The moment we begin interacting with that infant, the process of conditioning occurs. Mm. This is sort of an odd example, but I'll utilize it to make a point. In the early stage, well, let's go to something even uh, before that. When an infant is very young, we put it in diapers. Why? Because when the body needs to urinate, or have a bowel movement, it just does it. It's just natural. There's no thought about it. It's just natural. There's a certain point where parents have been told, you know, your child really should be toilet trained by now. So that that particular day occurs and you hear the child going, oh, and you say, now stop a second and you pick it up and you take it, run over to the bathroom, you put it on the little porta potty, and then you say, okay, now you can make. And so we condition the child to hold on to something beyond the time that it's designed to be held. Mm -hmm. And then as the child gets older and mom and dad are taking a drive on Sunday, they say, now you and your sister go to the bathroom because once we start driving, we're not going to be able to stop. And so that conditioning is make something happen that is not ready to happen. If you use just that example, you realize our entire life from our conditioning is to make something happen that isn't ready to happen or to stop something from happening that is. That's the push That's and the pull push. I referred to earlier. Exactly. That's exactly what that is. That's what's going on all the time. And what the average person doesn't realize is the expression, I think, means I don't know. And if you... <laughs> if, knowing is different than thinking. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you look up the word belief which means the same as thought, idea, concept, theory, hypothesis. You then look at the antonyms, the words that mean the opposite of belief, and you find a really profound word, truth. Hmm. Truth is the opposite of belief. Truth is what sets one free. The belief evidence of which I was talking about earlier in making the, the distinction between a belief system and an experience system because the yeah. experience system is based on your direct experience and comes from that nothingness because it, this is just it's your direct experience that's you know, the truth for you every person what? yes every person is aware when thinking is going on mm -hmm. they're aware that something is chattering inside what often we are not aware of 
is that in order to have that awareness, something must be observing or aware of the chatter. That which is aware from my direct experience is aware from no point of view. Mm -hmm. It does not have a voice. Like the old Zen phrase, you know, it's just what is. Right. It just right. notices all that is. And that piece, which I call pure awareness, and most people refer to as consciousness, mm -hmm. is common to all living things. When you are swimming in that ocean, because the drop has fallen in and disappeared, we are swimming in the same ocean. We are all part of the same ocean. What you began with, with namaste, you know, is essentially it. The illusion that we are all individual drops. Only through the direct experience of what we have been attempting to describe over the last hour is when that drop falls into the ocean. And for an instance of time, everything changes. And for me, in 1976, that instance shifted something in the seeing mechanism that has been that way for all this time. And so you asked a few moments ago, could this new awareness and so on perhaps lead to living maybe much, much longer because we are less used up. So right. much, when we look at most of us, most people are aging. You're speaking about saging. Aging is a process that goes up and then declines. Saging is something that just keeps moving up, 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 up. It's not in a state of retirement, but in a state of inspirement. And right. it moves to a certain level until it's everything has been used up and then it's just poof. And it goes into the nothingness again or everything is however you want to look at it now it's interesting how this very framework let's just call it that it, it appears in ancient texts why has it taken us so long to actually get to a place where we can start asking the questions that then allows this ancient knowledge to come back into play in a much greater way? Is it that we are recognizing that within chaos is order and that our natural proclivities are to seek natural order? You know, um, in the old days of drama, uh, before they had elaborate costumes like they have on, uh, on Broadway these days, right. the actors and actresses had a little mask and had a rod attached to it. And they would put that mask over their face. And that was a mask that was um, <clears throat> embodying their persona. Right. That wasn't the person. That was just the persona. 
persona comes from the Italian word personare, and personare means to peek through, to peer through. And what it means is that the essential us is not the persona, it's that which is peering through the mask. So you ask a question, why has it taken us so long? We have all been conditioned to believe that the most evolved part of our being is this mind that we can think with. When I went to school, we were led to believe that we were higher than animals and plants and more evolved because we could think. Interesting. And the, there's a, um, I had this after I had my awakening in, in college, I was in a pre-med program at the time. Uh, I was compelled to go down to the university library and look up the word Satan. And I couldn't figure out why. Kind of like you, you know, seeing the, yeah. the tool in the corner of your room. I just was compelled. So I go down and I've got this two volume set and I get to it. And the very first note in it was referencing the Greek Thetan, T-H-E-T-A-N, which meant thinker. And I, right. it was just like one of those revelatory moments, right, right, where I saw how that fictitious enemy was created in order to keep us mm, less than intelligent and manipulatable. That there was this command and control, you know, uh, implementation that bridged church and state initially, and it hasn't changed since right. until recently. And I think even the silver lining of the pandemic got people to question internally what are you going to do when you're obsessed on self-hygiene and sequestered right there's just you what are you going right. to do are you going to talk to you how are you going to talk to you yeah you know life is filled with things that are stressful that just occur mm -hmm. You know, an earthquake, a storm, sometimes we get sick. But most of the stress we uh, experience are not those natural stresses that people of the past used to experience. Most of them are just because the external experience does not match what we think is supposed to occur. They're more contrivances than realities. Yeah, and so as I have moved through my life, I have begun to see more and more that what I think is true is not truth. It's just an opinion at a certain point in time that comes and goes just like different model cars. Well, and it gives you something to experiment go. with, to question, to inquire, and, and then to let that nothingness, right, provide the, the response as to whether this is congruent with this natural order of things or it's slightly, you know, out of tune. You know, all of us have fallen in love at some point. Oh, my gosh. And we've noticed something. When we experience that type of love with someone, there's nothing we can do about it. 
And when we don't experience that kind of love, there's nothing we can do about it. It either is and it takes us or it isn't and it doesn't take us. Everything in life, either we fall in love with it and it takes us or it doesn't. If we have to start thinking about it, it usually hasn't taken us. And what about the longing? Right. There's this deep, intense longing for this connection. Right. And that is for very simple reason. You're speaking about fundamental desire, not desire of I want a new Maserati, but the desire, which is the yearning for oneness, for unity. Right. Um, you know that our entire physiology is continually working to achieve that. No, we're when a holistic we, system uh, attempting to find homeostasis. But but <laughs> that it's it, it's even more than homeostasis. It's oneness because light enters the eye. About twenty five percent of it is for eyesight and vision. Seventy five percent is literally data input. Well, it's telling your body what time it is, what day it is, where are you right. on the earth. And that information <clears throat> times the events of everything going on in our body. That information from light goes to the portion of the brain we call the brain's brain, the hypothalamus, the site of the body's biological clock, which has an inseparable connection with the pineal what they call the third eye, the seat well, of the and those soul. Too, this is your, the, you bring this, uh, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're yes. just making my mind pop with relative information and, and correlative factoids. Um, yeah. Hypothalamus is the bottom, the pineal is at the top of the corpus callosum, which is the transceiver in between the two hemispheres that yeah. I've often wondered, maybe that's the seat of the soul, right? Because that's where that, light information comes in through the crown and is distributed and you mean so you mean into the pineal well via the so there's a threefold claim if you will in that case yeah. right from both hemispheres and the corpus callosum and from that entrance into the corpus callosum is distributed not just through the hemispheres but also to the pineal and the hypothalamus well, the I don't know. These yeah. are just things that I'm looking at. Okay, here's the constructs and understanding this light flow. My question is, okay, how's it work and how can I tune in better to understand what's going on inside of me so that I can better operate with what's outside of me? You and see, that's, just, that's a perception that there's something outside of me. Yeah. Not just, necessarily so. <laughs> yeah, just as the hypothalamus is known as the brain's brain. The pineal is known as the regulator of regulators. Mm -hmm. Literally, the pineal uh, takes all the information about light, darkness, all the spectral characteristics going on outside the Earth's electromagnetic field. Simultaneously, it shares that with 100 trillion cells in the body. Each cell at the same instance of time takes that information, orchestrates its internal function, 
in order to synchronize itself, come into a place of at oneness with the cosmos. Mm -hmm. Everything that's going on physiologically, if you take the mind out, is just continually bringing us into oneness. The mind, which creates sort of like a little bit of an impedance in there, is what slows that down or moves it in one direction or the other that we call normal, which is almost always not natural. And so the Agreed. more... The more that we begin to identify our essence with that awareness that I spoke of earlier that is aware of the mind chatter, the more we identify with that rather than with the continual chatter and mind that is continually changing, the more that occurs, the more at oneness we experience. And when that at oneness is really um, when it's there, we disappear as individuals. And all there is is a state of ubiquitous contentment. Wonderful. And that's yeah. health and happiness when we speak about that. And an experience of joy. Yeah. Is yeah. That, yeah. And it seems and, to, you know, it, it's, and is this that operational capacity that we have to exude, like you were talking earlier, right? This consciousness that just, pervades everything yeah permeates and, and produces these experiential moments that give us the that opportunity to reside in that state of joy and to begin to bring that more into a regular state of being instead of being pushed and pulled by the distractions or or what we believe that you know the, that codependent self comes up right and wants to operate in that fashion this is completely beyond that it's a state uh, from what i hear you saying it's a state of being that when you are in there's a perfect for lack of a better operational capacity that you enjoy in whatever moment you're in you know, a simple way is I think... Yeah, let's make it simple, man. This is just so complex yeah. for most people. We've spent our lives uh, trying to make it simple. So here's a simple experiment. Notice everything that enters your awareness. For instance, I walk out of my office. I walk into the kitchen and um, I see a dish in the sink. Or should I say the dish in the sink catches my eye? Mm. <clears throat> now, why does it catch my eye? It's not the eye that catches the thing. It's the thing that catches the eye. 
That's mm -hmm. why we say, oh, she caught my eye. Well, the she or the dish is just light energy. The light is actually looking for the eye. When that occurs, the eye reflexively moves by itself, no thought required toward that which has caught it. The body then realigns itself. If you do nothing, your body will walk toward the sink, will pick up the dish, will wash it carefully, will rinse it off and put it in the drainer or dry, or dry it and put it away. That is what I do with my life. That is my meditation. Whatever catches my eye is looking for me. Whatever look is looking for me is the next step in the journey of my life. And that is what I do, whether it's a phone call, an interview, a bill, a text, a dish, making the bed, <clears throat> saying I love you. It doesn't make any difference. That is the way my life is moved from morning till night. There's no time in between to consider, oh, should I, you know, you see that the trash is full and the mind says, ah, that's, I'll prioritize that for later. Yeah, no, do it now. That's why it should, that's why it caught your eye. Now. That's the order the, in the things. The timing of the universe is so precise <clears throat> because timing is everything. If we just respected that, and notice that things are not occurring by accident. They come at the moment they come because that is the moment. Then we are continually in that moment mm -hmm. that people always are speaking about. Now, my suggest, absolutely, and exquisite explanation of it. Now, to bring it into a practical application for experience, for others to experience, might I offer that this same type of eye catching when you're for business people or students or just yeah. anywhere somebody catches your eye right what do you do do you ignore it or you do walk toward it and wonder <laughs> okay why did you uh, yeah why why did you catch my eye do you ask questions absolutely my point this is the choice that, that you have in that moment but hold on a second I'm saying something a little different. It takes effort to avoid it. It is effortless if if you just if you allow it to move. Yeah, absolutely. It's effortless. It takes work. Oh, should I should I oh, no, I'm going to go Right. There is a reason things enter our awareness. They are looking for us. That's where the gems of our life, that's where the surprises, that's where we meet that special person. That's where we win the lottery. It's not to question. It's just to be. Absolutely. Now, coming close to our closing time and, and parting is such sweet sorrow. Um, <laughs> what... If there were a piece of advice that you could give, and, and you gave some great when you know walking out and, and becoming aware of your awareness, what is is there a simple technique that you find works best for the majority of folks who engage it? 
Because I know I, there I are techniques and things that we can try that, yeah, sometimes it works. I'm not much on homework. Uh, in my book, Luminous Life, I talk about these one minute or in 30 second meditations mm -hmm. that you can do throughout the day that don't take any time. <clears throat> but much of my work is I, I mentor a small number of individuals on an individual basis. I give them all this color therapy kit that I've developed. This is not to sell a product, but this is something they use at home in their own time. It just takes a few seconds a day, literally a few seconds. <clears throat> and what it does is it allows them to gradually become comfortable with the aspects of life that are uncomfortable, that trigger them into an emotional reaction. That is what I have found is perhaps one of the most potent things that I've been playing with since the late 70s. Um, that's one of the few things that I give uh, people because, see, my sense is that awareness is what's curative. It's that literally seeing something in a new way can change everything instantaneously. And so for me, it's all about allowing that seeing mechanism to see without the obstruction of belief. And so the work with color <clears throat> is to dissipate a lot of the... Constricted beliefs. The things in our life that create stress so that we can breathe easier, live easier, live longer, and most importantly, have a sense of contentment. Um, in the book, Luminous Life, there are a lot of little simple things that people can do. Uh, they I'll can also think link of, below as well so that they have access to it. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's um, allowing in some of these things that have come up during our conversation and the way we allow them in is because some of them we say oh my god of course mm. of course i've always known that what resonates with us is is not something new it's something we've always known it's like reading only confirms what you already know and so taking what has transpired today for all of us and allowing it to move us, whether it is to purchase a book or to becoming more aware of what's catching our eye, or to say, gee, that guy Zen has really an interesting program. I'm going to listen in every day, or whatever it is. That's what allows, that's the way my life works. I just allow things to move me, and then I see where they take me. And then I discover, you know what? This is a miracle. This is magical. And that's what keeps me inspired in my life. Even at 75, I'm full of inspiration. I'm full of excitement of new things. So, well, I'm kind of like you. I, I, I got reignited here recently with one of those flows of information as a result of, of this program 
uh, last year, I had interviewed the founder for the Live and Let Live Global Peace Movement and it just had that empathic resonance. Yeah, I got to get involved. And next thing I know, a few months later, I'm executive director. And I have this opportunity to fulfill what I've known my mission was since a teenager. And that's to right. help facilitate harmony among people and planet, which is the same thing right. you're doing. We just happen to have a, a opportunity that incorporates both a moral principle and a legal principle and be a good human and not being an aggressor. So we gather people to unpack what the being a good human really means and through all those different levels and colors and whatnot. And then on the legal side, we actually are determined to adjust or calibrate the laws and legislation to remove all aggression, which has been allowed. And so those are some of the ways of finding that oneness and actually doing something about it in order to frame it and give the opportunity for it to emerge as it ought to. You know, when you, when you just said that, I realized that all disease is based in competition. Yes. It's competition between microbes and healthy tissue or competition between one kind of cell or another. But the entire body and the entire universe, competition isn't actually what's going on there. It's collaboration. Exactly. Life is a collaboratory. Yeah. So this is what, you know, you've been saying, what we've been saying, which is, as the Beatles said, come together. Right now. Right now. <laughs> Jacob, this has been an amazing, wonderful, one of the best chats I've had, I have to say, and, and very apocalyptic for both of us as well yeah. as the audience, which is really Absolutely. a triple win in that case. And, and that's what I really hope for and intend in my offering and willingness to be here and do this. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. well, Thank God we get this opportunity. Oh, yeah. Thank you again so much. Um, and with that, namaste. And in La Catch, thanks for sticking with us for this episode of One World in a New World. I'm Zen Benefiel, your host, and I will see you next time. <laughs>